another episode of the Roost Podcast. As always, I'm founder and managing editor of the Roost News and Analysis. Well, we are closing in. Uh, in less than two weeks, it'll actually be a game week for Rice football. So, I... never mind that half the teams in the conference have now played like five games. But you know, whatever. Like we're, we're getting there, slow and steady. Hey, as as Mike Bloomgren said in a, a conference call with media earlier this week, like you know, he'll hold rabbit's foots, pray, whatever we need to do <laughs> to get to game day. Uh, it's kind of surreal that it really is that close. Oh man. And so I guess we'll do a couple couple housekeeping things up the top. We'll hit we only we have a, a small blip of COVID news slightly this week, and then we can get into uh some rankings that we're gonna get to later. We're gonna talk through opponents and positions. Now that we have a team, they're on the field and we, we have opponents, we can talk about stuff like this. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. And so let's see at the top uh, Patreon shout outs. I want to thank uh, all American subscribers who joined on this past, I guess, two weeks or so. If you are on the all American t- tier, you get a exclusive Q&A with me every month of whatever questions you have about rice, football, basketball, soccer, tacos, uh, Netflix <laughs> streaming shows. You know, we, we, we can hit everything. We haven't had any Marvel questions on. Maybe it's time to get Christian Covington back. But those who have signed, I want to give a special thank you to Jerry, John Clarkowski, Harlan Chappelle, and Tom Latos. And a special thank you to our first booster level supporter, Paul Doyle. Thank you so much for helping keep this shop going and helping us keep getting rice football and athletic news out to you. You can... uh, Go and follow and, and subscribe now on Patreon, patreon.com slash at the roost, or just go to at the roost, the website, and you can get all sorts of practice news. We got quarterback, have an injury report, which is proving to be more and more important than I ever hoped it would be, but it, it's all there. So go ahead and subscribe and you'll have access to everything that has already been written about fall camp and everything going forward. So go ahead and grab that. If you want to pick up the season preview, it's uh, on the shop page at the slash shop still has lots of good opponent and uh, player analysis in there. That is going to be interesting. And I think that's it for housekeeping pieces. Thank you all yeah. so much. And so now we have our usual schedule segment at this point, but I don't know. Have there were there any games that were originally scheduled for this Saturday, the tenth, that have been canceled during this week so far? You know, I saw. I don't. I'm trying to remember. I think it might have been Joseph Duarte at the Chronicle tweet that. You know, we're recording this on on Wednesday. That as of right now, Houston was still scheduled to play their game this weekend. That was you know 26 hours out. I think they're a Thursday, <laughs> Thursday night kick. So by the time you listen to this, that may or may not have happened. Yeah. So, OK, we'll work in that UH's game gets canceled since all their games get canceled. And then, you know, but that's only one for the week, which is better than we've been doing. <laughs> right. And so it's it's funny because I was I was putting this list together. Right. And last time when Hurricane Laura came and hit the Gulf Coast, we forgot to mention the hurricane. Because we were, we had to talk about all the different <laughs> COVID-related cancellations and fears and all that. So at this point, you know, oh, what the world we live in, 
there is were we Hurricane Delta? Yeah. Is that the Delta. name we've, we've moved on? There. I didn't I had no idea that we just went to Greek after yeah. we ran out the list. Yeah, so let's just go to the Greek alphabet. It's happened before, but I think when we had Gamma, which I don't that wasn't I don't think that was a Gulf hurricane. But when that one when that storm formed, it was the earliest a Gamma had formed by like a solid month or something like there's still a full like month and a half, I think, left in the Atlanta Atlantic hurricane season. And we're already uh, we're already right along. So uh, so I guess the real question is, you know, this is a rice podge- pod the podcast. I can't even speak straight uh, of, of fairly educated folks. Should we have a say in determining what language we go to next after Greek? Yeah, I don't know. Another We're, alphabet? Was... <laughs> the, 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 uh, do we go? Alphabet? Do we go? Yeah, maybe maybe it's Cyrillic. I don't know. Maybe we go like like Hangul, the Korean alphabet. I don't know. We'll, this uh... is where we're going to get to if if we have <laughs> if Rice has any games postponed, we're going to be debating hurricane alphabet usage. Oh man, football, please come back. But it's <laughs> happening. And so, but I will note uh, Hurricane Delta coming in. So that's poor Louisiana. Um, praying for those folks over there. Uh, LSU was supposed to play in Baton Rouge against Mizzou this weekend. That game has been moved to Columbia. And I think as we talked about last week, Louisiana Lafayette slash Louisiana, whoever they are, if I'm stubborn enough to not change, their game got bumped back to Wednesday night. So a little bit of midweek action in the Sun Belt, which yeah, oh, I know um, it has not currently been moved, but I know Alabama Ole Miss is currently like they're keeping an eye on it because the storm is either supposed to be like on top of or just past Oxford around 5 p.m. Central when that game is supposed to kick off. So <laughs> that one might get moved to Friday or Sunday or possibly I, I think the two teams have the same bye week, so. I mean, we all want to play football, but maybe not it, literally in a hurricane. Well, you remember the Notre Dame game? Was it was it Notre Dame Navy? No, Notre Dame. Uh, it was a couple years ago. They're playing Clemson? in Clemson. Didn't they? Didn't didn't Notre Dame and Clemson play in a hurricane recently? Or am I making something? It, I remember that. I remember it was a Notre Dame game. I can't cannot remember for the life of me who they played. I think. Yeah, they, I think it might have been Clemson because I wasn't that the one where where Dabo said like BYOG, bring your own guts after the game. I think that was that game. You mean head coach of the Houston Texans, Dabo Swinney? <laughs> no, can't try that one. I'm... <laughs> I'm not sure I want him to follow me here, but like, okay. So 2016, uh, NC state says the Google. There we go. That sounds, that sounds right. I Googled hurricane game, Notre Dame, and and that's what (laughs) we got. So, but yeah, let's, let's avoid that at, at all cause if we can. But the good news is wherever those games get played, or if they don't, we're actually at, a full 10 FBS conferences back playing football this year. I saw a schedule. I don't know if a schedule has dropped yet for the Mac, but they've announced, I, I believe, three Saturday the games. of the schedule. Yeah, three Saturday games and three midweek games for each team. Which is a midweek match, and we all needed in our lives. You know, we, we needed the SEC playing on Saturdays, and we needed Tuesday night football. And if we get those things or Wednesday night, what I just you turn it on and there's football. Tuesday, Wednesday, that, when it, yeah. that is the fall. 
as it should be. Mac game times are the times when you just turn on the TV and it's still on ESPN and you don't expect a college football game to be on and there's just a college football game. It's like 3 p.m. on a Wednesday and you're like, what? Exactly. And then, you know, it ends up being a 47-44 game in double overtime. And you're just, you're waiting on pins and needles to see what happens between Ball State and, you know, Eastern Michigan. Or, I guess, do they have all of the directional Michigans in the MAC? Uh, Central? All, all of the F, yeah, all of the FBS directional Michigans are in the MAC. Eastern, Western, Central. I don't know anything about e- us. Southern and Northern Michigan. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> now I'm going to have to go do my, my Mac research. I, you know, if that's where we get to in this football season, that's a win. I do want to know, like, what's the, what's the state that has the most directional schools? That has, is there anybody that has, like, an East, a West, a South, a North, and, like, some other, like, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I know of any other Centrals. Like, Mich- Alabama has South Alabama and... West Alabama and well, North Alabama, uh, I think, are both in D2. Rice Connection, Jerry Mack from NC Central. Oh, yeah, true. ECU. Oh my God, I guess Western Carolina. Western counts, Carolina. Yeah. And then, yeah. North Carolina, South Carolina. Carolinas. But wait, well, see, that's states. Yeah. states. <laughs> but North Carolina, that does give North Carolina. Is Western Carolina in North Carolina or South Carolina? I think it's in North Carolina. The Catamounts. There you go. In Kulowee, North Carolina, right next to a Chili's, apparently, from the Google Map photo that comes up. So, <laughs> not as good as Houston Baptist <laughs> having a uh, having a CVS on one side of its stadium. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, did you not see? Um, it was going oh, around man. earlier in the season when, because you know they're just like like Bailey Zappi thrown for like six hundred yards a game or something, and in one of the games they played earlier this year, it was going around and and people were putting screenshots on Twitter of literally, if you sit in the stands at HBU stadium on the other side of the stadium, there are no stands. It's the parking lot of a CVS. That's incredible. Yeah. Hey, you know, brands, right? We're already (laughs) talking about putting, you know, AT&T on soccer jerseys. And that's controversial now in the States. Europe has already surpassed us and moved on to the money-making, but we'll get there. Aye, aye, aye. And Rice, Rice will get there. All of that to say we're, we're, we're two-ish weeks by the time you listen to this from Rice Game Day versus Middle Tennessee. And we, the one directly COVID-19 related note that I wanted to get to is reported this week. Rice has been testing like crazy. They had one positive test last week on the football team and they had four that missed the most recent scrimmage with, with contact tracing. So out of 106 players on the roster, one out of 106, that's less than 1%. And Bloomgren did say that they've actually had most of the issue has not been related to the team itself, its roommates and families and folks very close to being in the bubble adjacent that it's just a a natural reality that as much as they would like to lock these people in the pattern center, which, <laughs> you know, the team might agree to if the NCAA would allow it yeah. because they really want to play football. But, yeah, can't do that. So less than one percent. And we've been back at football practice for two ish weeks. Pretty good. And given that we've been back at practice, there is actual like 
we have like practice updates. We can talk about things that are happening in Rice football practice. Like we saw it with what our a eyes on, on the football field. <laughs> we no longer have to conceptually talk about what this guy might be. Well, I guess we still do because <laughs> fall camp is not the end all be all, but it feels like it after all we've had is nothing. I sure feel like feels like it for Kalen Griffin. That's for sure. Yeah. So this is, this was a crazy one and I put him as one of my breakout picks and I don't remember at what point we were, which, which podcast was it? We were doing an opponent preview talking about fourth string running backs. Huh? Marshall, Brendan Knox rising up. Was that it? Well, anyhow, sounds about right. It came up at one point in like mid June, July. And I was like, well, third, fourth string running back is probably Kalen Griffin. So he's going to be a superstar. And (laughs) well, so here we go to uh, peel back the rest of the curtain. They had two healthy running backs for their first scrimmage of the year. So Juma and Juwan both nicked up, didn't go on Saturday. Neither one of those injuries are expected to be serious. Bloomgren did say that he's he's hopeful and, and expecting that they'll both be back on the field for practice or for scrimmage number two this coming weekend. So that's a good news that Rice will have healthy running backs. But because of that, Kalen Griffin carried the ball more than 30 times in, in the Saturday scrimmage, which is like, that's intellectual brutality right there. Ran for 247 yards. <laughs> Might be just regular old brutality. Yeah, just all of the brutalness. Ran for 247 yards, including like a 30-plus. I'm being conservative here. I just saw him take off and was like, wow. 30-plus yard touchdown run. And 165 of those yards, a little bit more than half, came after contact. So they always that, That'll keep- get it done. They always keep stats from from scrimmages, but they don't really like do much with them because it's a scrimmage. But when you do that, when you rush for 165 yards after contact, that'll turn some heads. That'll get it done. And then, you know, they're they've had some guys in and out of the lineup. But like uh, the de- the defensive front is mostly intact, right? Like the, I, I don't recall, you know, in terms of injuries that we've discussed that they there have been that the absences have really been concentrated with the the defensive line or the linebackers who are going to, you know, account for most of your run defense. So, yeah, no front front seven has been probably one of the groups that's been more or less uh, not, not impact. I think Trey Schumann has been one of those guys that I've been kind of paying attention to. He's been off to the side. I don't believe he was practicing on Saturday. Keeper on page, another guy I'm looking at, but, you know, for the most part, you're talking about Elijah Garcia, Javante Hubbard, Braylon Carroll, you know, Montero, Blaze. Talking about pr- this is a pretty good run defense. You don't you don't rush for 250 yards against the Rice. Front I mean, they seven. played a lot of good running backs last year, and none none of them had days like that. Yeah, and that goes to show. <laughs> I think. They might be all right Starting on to the ground. Pretty good about if the they got some options. Position. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just I'm going and, and pulling up just just for kicks. So last year, Army, so two teams crossed the 200 yard mark on the ground against the Rice defense last year. Army had 231, and Wake Forest had 201. It took Army 56 attempts to get that high. Yeah, hardly even. I mean, that was. 
literally almost literally all of army's offense so yeah that, that was that's a, that's a good defensive effort against army's uh rushing offense so yeah and rice had no games last year where they allowed more than two rushing touchdowns so kalen griffin one big old rushing touchdown and 200 and 165 after contact is it's pretty good i mean a dude I, I i had to go and double check on the roster just now but 510 215 that's bowling ball that's uh that's built like mark ingram yeah but it's it's crazy because you think like i'm i'm thinking back like nishan ellerby he he was a bowling ball he would he would just run straight. What, what what's most impressed me about Griffin is that he can move. It's not just point and plow people over. He's making guys miss and and actually breaking a lot of tackles, not just with brute force, but with you know a little bit of shimmy, a nimble bowling ball. Then a nimble bowling ball. You're welcome, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Griffin. You can have that one for free, Caleb. <laughs> You know, you know, if he breaks out early in the year, we we got we got some time before we have to come up with uh, nicknames. Yeah, we'll we'll workshop it. Yeah, we're okay with that. <laughs> so running back was a plus. I think the only other big thing that is is worth mentioning. I don't know if we've hit it too much on the podcast yet. Is no decision on the quarterback battle yet, but. Bloomberg has has said a, a couple times now that that Mike Collins does does appear to be a good step ahead of Giovanni. They're going to kind of watch things play out on the scrimmage this weekend. So I'm probably not expecting any formal announcements before next week at the earliest. And I don't know if Rice is going to directly put something out. So make sure you're following the roost on on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else. And we might have some news for you if that's the direction it goes. But from all we've seen and talked about, I, I feel pretty good with, with Mike Collins taking the lead. Yeah. Sounds like he's been, he's been pretty good in practice lately. And, you know, we'll talk about this when we were talking about the positions in a little bit, but I, none of them are really proven, but there are definitely worse situations to have a quarterback than, all of your top three having at least one game of FBS level starting experience. And your third string guy is the guy who's been in the offense the longest and actually has the most starts at the school. So more you know. starts at the school than everyone else combined at the school. Yes. Does Evan have and I think more two? overall, because Collins, what has, I mean, he had like four starts. Yeah. At TCU, I think. And Wiley, I think, has seven. Yeah, so he might have more collegiate yeah. starts than uh, any of the other quarterbacks combined. You don't get that from a third string quarterback very often. Yeah, that's a, a good good little safety net, you know, but I'm speaking it now. This will be the year. It's one, only a six one it's only a six game schedule right one now. One quarterback. <laughs> they have half the length of schedule to play to keep one guy healthy. That'll be the goal. Oh, fingers crossed. We'll see. All right. So with that, we wanted to go through and kind of rank opponents and rank positions and, and kind of talk about our, our confidence level at those different spots. I guess it depends. Do we want to start with people playing against Rice or Rice itself? Uh, let's go with the opponents first. 
All right. And we'll make I, I, I think we talked pre-recording. We're going to try and make this a, a collaborative effort. So if you're, you know, wherever you are, if you're at the gym or, <laughs> you know, sitting on your couch watching this, yell out and tell us <laughs> where you think uh, we were wrong or right. So I, I will submit the opponent. How do we phrase this is the opponent that I'm most confident that Rice should be able to beat. Is that where we start? How do we yeah, want to sure. couch so, it? But degree of difficulty easiest. Yeah. And I'll uh, submit Middle Tennessee. Yeah, I, I was in rough agreement on that. I I, I, I did a like a rough power rank of the opponents, and I I had MTSU at the bottom. They have not been playing so bad their last couple of games, you know, within two points of UTSA and three points of Western Kentucky, but blown out by Army, blown out by Troy. 0-4 is 0-4 at this point, so. Yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about the worst scoring offense in Conference USA, which is averaging 16.5 points a game, which is not very much, and also the number nine scoring defense in Conference USA, averaging 36.5 points a game, given up. And once you get past the 30 mark, just you know, yeah, you're exploitable one, to one degree or another. Even, you know, at least like UTEP can say, you know, they played Texas and had 59, 59 hung on them by Texas. You know, UAB, UAB played what looks to be a pretty good Miami team and only gave up 31 points to them. Uh, Middle Tennessee cannot say that. The the best team they've probably played is Army, and they've uh, three or four op- opponents, 37 points or more. Not great. And not that it's the deciding factor, but Rice did beat them on the road last year. So beating them at home should be an easier task. Theoretically. And Theoretically. It, yeah. Again, the factor in this, which I think we discussed before, is that, uh, you know, they are Rice's first opponent and they will have, you know, yeah, they do still have two more games. They will literally have played six games coming in and that may mean you know if they're 0 six by then they might have just kind of checked out at that point but you know if they manage to win a couple of these their confidence is growing they're certainly less rusty than rice will be at that point so the that may become a factor in this one but i don't know it's hard to account for that at this point so i i think we can pretty comfortably put them at the bottom which is wild because like when I was, you know, thinking through the list, I it wasn't that hard to put UTEP above or below yeah. whatever direction, <laughs> Middle Tennessee, which is that's pretty jarring. Which that would be that would be my pick for for the next in line would be UTEP. It's probably UTEP or North Texas are the two I was toying between. What do you think? Yeah, it was I I was pretty close together on all three of UTEP, North Texas and UTSA. Um, But yeah, I would go with UTEP next. I mean, they're three and one. And (laughs) as we have said, three and one for UTEP is three and one with a win, a a 25 point win over an FPS FBS team, which. The Warhawks are going to be pretty bad this year, but hey, when you're UTEP and you've 
literally won like two games in the previous three seasons, you don't you don't look a gift horse in the mouth here. So hey, um, and they have a winning streak. Like after losing to Texas, they won two games in a row. Rice didn't get there till week eleven last year. <laughs> I'm just saying, if we're looking for reasons to bump them just up a little bit above Middle Tennessee. Oh yeah, I. We, I like solidly above Middle Tennessee, I would say. Not enough to not enough to push them out of that second to last spot or the second easiest spot, I guess. But hey, that's better than they've been in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, which I think is probably you know we give all the accolades and and respect to UTEP for for clawing their way up to three and one. I think it is probably maybe indicative of I'm not going to say a, a decline in the program northeast of there in, in North Texas, but uh, the, the next iteration of the, I guess the, what are we on? The Austin on era on <laughs> Allen? How do you say his name? I don't even remember. Yes. The new, the new name under in, in the shotgun for Seth Luttrell. And North Texas, they are uh, one and two with a FCS win and have uh, been outscored, which you would think if anybody is able to score a lot of points and outscore people, it would be North Texas. They're actually second in the conference in scoring and have given up still two more touchdowns than they've scored. Yeah, like... You know, I just talked about Bailey Zappi and HBU, and so, I don't know, there's less shame in giving up 31 points and a bazillion yards to them than there might otherwise be, and SMU's offense is pretty good, so, uh, I don't know. At some point, giving up 65 points is giving up 65 points, right? And so, what, they played three games and given up 137 points? Like... Those have been against pretty good. Yeah, those have been against pretty good offenses, but like 137 points is 137 points. And see, the only thing here that like makes me have have a little bit pause with this is they have had, you know, and it's kind of hard to because we we talk through this and it it is what it is. You have who you have on Saturdays who you have. But their line, their defense was already thin and their linebacker core. And they've been missing a good amount of guys with contact tracing and and covid uh, testing. And they've had a couple issues up there with who is just available. So, uh, you know, they were without a lot of pieces when they went and played Southern Miss and, you know, Granted, Southern Miss hang, hung 41 on them, which is kind of to be expected. But, you know, I don't, I don't know if, you know, by the time Rice plays them, which feels like 100 years from now, it's only, you know, a handful of weeks. You know, there there is a possibility that their defense might be better. I don't think they're going to turn elite, but. Right. Yeah. It, it may not be as bad as we're seeing. Might not be hot knife through butter. It could be, you know regular room temperature knife through butter <laughs> yeah uh, it still a, cuts a cold knife through through refrigerated butter there you go <laughs> uh 
Um, uh, so I thought about putting them above, like putting UTSA below below them because they thought real hard about losing to Middle Tennessee, who we have at the bottom. And similarly, in that, like they probably should have lost to Texas State in that absolute weird game back a couple weeks ago. Um, and their win against Stephen F. Austin was only slightly more impressive than UTEP's win. But again, you know, at some point, three and one is three and one. And they did hang pretty close with UAB last Saturday. So I, I don't have a ton of separation between these three teams, but yeah, I, I, guess, I guess I do end up with UTSA above them. If I was putting through, I was trying to think through you know, if we're kind of tearing these out, you know, how what's the gap between, you know, UTSA to North Texas versus UTSA to MTSU? Like, I, I feel like. I, the thing is, in Conference USA, I don't think the gap from one to seven is that big. No, I would. Any <laughs> like, of these four teams we've talked close. about. Like any of these four, I don't, I wouldn't put a lot of separation between them. Like maybe I would have had MTSU a little lower after like the first two weeks, but they have at least been respectable the last two. And I don't know, in this conference, you know, it, anyone and, can get got. And what I will I say, that's very true. What I will say about UTSA, and this is, you know, something we've talked about on, on this podcast a couple times. They've been playing against their will musical chairs at quarterback to a degree. Yeah. So Frank Harris starter gets hurt. Then Josh Atkins, their backup last week gets hurt. And I, I believe he's supposed to miss an extended period of time, several weeks, if, if not longer, which I think on the official depth chart for this coming weekend, it was Lowell Narcisse or Frank Harris. So, if you would have told us going into the season that UTSA could get to their fifth game and there's a good chance that their third string quarterback, who was not great about against anybody other than Rice last year, is starting, you would have said, okay, they, you know, maybe won a game here or there, but they've won three. So, like, the fact that they've gotten to three wins with three, uh, three different quarterbacks seeing action is. That that is the difference between, you know, Middle Tennessee and and, and the fourth spot here. Right. Like UTS the first time in years kind of seems to have an offensive like identity, like they seem to have something going, especially when Harris is in. Um, I would not if I were them, I would not play Harris in this next game. And from from our point of view as outside observers, we should not be judging them by the result of it because they're about to play BYU and BYU has just been. My goodness, disemboweling people this year, like it has been. Brutal, so uh, uh, do not worry, Roadrunners, we are not going to hold this one against you. Just get out of there healthy injury and covid wise, because it, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, man. Not to get too far off on a, a tangent, but BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. I, I remember, I, I don't remember if it was his first start, but one of his first games he played was that a bowl game. They were playing, I think they were playing a directional, directional Michigan, Western Michigan, I think. 
And he just like went off for like, he was, he had a hundred percent completion percentage and like four or five touchdowns. And I was like, Oh, he might be good. <laughs> and then lo yeah. and behold, still good. Yeah. Uh, Richard Johnson, formerly of SB nation and now of, uh, uh, SEC network and moon crew LLC refers to him as the Mormon Manzel, which is <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite nicknames in college sports right it's now. So good. <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah. Sorry, UTSA. Survive. Louisiana yeah, just, Tech. Just get through that one, guys. Like, like no shame. Whatever happens. But, hey, Smoke Harris at Louisiana Tech. He looked fun. He's yeah. Cool. So, there, there's hope. I don't, I don't know if UTSA. <laughs> it's Sincere McCormick is, is probably is that athletic and dynamic. He could get something done. But I, I don't know. We'll see. If it's Lowell Narcisse show, I would keep my expectations in check in, in San Antonio. Which, you know, might be easier said than done if you're you're three and one with a brand new head coach in a pandemic. So they are that's our, our four. Then. The, I think the next one was fairly easy for me, and it's kind of bizarre getting this far down the list. And I would say Southern Miss is probably my next pick. Yeah. And they have fired their head coach. Yeah. Or resigned, let go, whatever the word we're using nowadays. And gave up 66 points to Tulane two weeks ago, <laughs> which I forgot about. Um, yeah, it's just hard to know what to make of them. They seem to be getting something going under uh, Scotty Walden. Is that his name? You know, 41 points on North Texas that they weren't they weren't putting up a lot of offensive performances like that under uh um under Hobson who seemed to be one of those kind of coaches that always sort of has a restrictor plate on the offense <clears throat> Kirby Smart but yeah i mean 41 points against North Texas who again not exactly one of those killer defenses um almost pulled off the win against Louisiana Tech who uh by process of elimination among Rice's currently scheduled opponents spoiler alert will be next so <laughs> i don't know it's it's hard to know what to make of them at this point and frankly it's kind of the same with louisiana tech too but at this point i would put them uh i don't know a decent chunk ahead of the the bottom four uh, i think i think they're still closer to that bottom group than the top group and, you know, you you mentioned Jay Hobson's impact on the offense probably not being positive. He's a really good defensive guy. And I know Scotty Walden has kind of been heralded, you know, that the next up and coming, you know, offensive guy and his impact on the offense. That's great. But they lost so much on defense and now they're losing one of the best defensive minds on staff. I would you would think uh, I I'm concerned. I I don't know if I believe in Jack Abraham enough to put them in that next group of people that I think could be serious contenders for for the conference, for the West at least. Yeah. But, you know, if Southern Miss and North Texas combined for what, 82 points together, Rice better bring the offense this yeah. season. Um, yeah, that's fair. The ultimate point here, I guess, is that there's not a lot of separation anywhere. Um, moving to Louisiana Tech, the thing is, though, like, 
just looking back at their schedule now, like it's kind of hard to know. Like they had that real close one that they pulled out against Southern Miss. They had a game against Houston Baptist that was kind of a lot like North Texas's game against Houston Baptist. Um, and then they, <laughs> uh, and then they played BYU. And frankly, this year, if you're a G5 team and you play BYU, 45 to 14 is a pretty respectable outcome. So you could do worse. People have done worse. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I if they have a comfortable win against UTEP on it's it's weird to be saying that like a comfortable win against UTEP like tells you something. <laughs> but what is funny? Yeah. <laughs> the weirdest thing about this year by far. Um but I, I think I will be really interested to see what their result is on Saturday, because if they come out and comfortably, you know, like a 20 point win against UTEP, that is enough for me to probably say, OK, this team is contending in the West right now. I mean, if they struggle like right now, there's not a, like. Which kind of gets to the point, like, OK, we have not talked about UAB yet. They are not officially on Rice's schedule. I think we feel pretty solid about the fact that rice will end up playing them on December 5th and that the conference championship game will be rescheduled. And, and not that they've even been fantastic either. The one against South Alabama is pretty nice, but like as bunched up as the rest of the West is, I don't know that I put any, like the gap between Louisiana tech and UAB for me is, is much bigger than any other gap between successive teams here. So here's my, official opinion on Louisiana Tech until I see differently. So, Bulldogs fans, you could rail against me if you want, or you can begrudgingly <laughs> begrudgingly admit that I might be right. Uh, as far as placement on this list and quality of the team overall, I, I think Louisiana Tech is a, a better football team right now, will be a tougher out for their opponents and Rice than any of the five teams we mentioned so far. But Skip Holtz, from his tenure in Ruston so far, his team has always just had a day or two where it just, it just doesn't click. And that that could be, like, it could be against UTEP this year. Like, I would not be shocked if you know, weird turnover luck and, and UTEP ekes out a win of Louisiana Tech and Louis, then Louisiana Tech runs the table and beats UAB. Like, that could happen. And so as far as like on any given Saturday, like, I don't know what Louisiana Tech team is going to show up. And so I, I think they belong as one of the more talented, better teams on this list, but I have a hard time putting them I think if I'm grouping it, I'm grouping the first kind of five that we talked about as a tier, the Louisiana Tech tier of I think you're better than the five we mentioned, but I don't know if you're going to beat all those five. And then the UAB tier. Yeah, it's it's weird. You know, as much as we talked about, you know, with CUSA in general and the West specifically that like, oh, this is a really close race. There's a lot of, you know, everybody's kind of bunched up it. They're still bunched up, but they're bunched up toward, like, I think the separation we envisioned would, was that there would be a lot of teams kind of close at the top, and then the teams, you know, in like four, five, six, 
would be reasonably close to that group, and then UTEP would be way at the bottom. And instead, right now, and, you know, caveat, all of this could be completely different with how weird this, with, you know, just the general weirdness of college football, but also the specific weirdness of the season. Instead, it's kind of the other way around, where there's one clear favorite right now, I think, and then everybody else, like the bottom seven teams or whatever. Anyway, the the whole rest of the teams are, are bunched up together in a way that you feel like any of them could beat any of them. Yeah, the rest of the West plus middle. So I think that that, that makes pretty good sense to me. So we we are our expectation <laughs> loosely on, you know, early October for Rice starts. We said Middle Tennessee, UTEP, North Texas, UTSA, Southern Miss, Louisiana Tech and UAB. And the degree of difficulty. Yeah. Increasing as you go along. Assuming the UAB game gets played, which I think it will. All right. We'll see. Against that group, I mean, if we're sliding Rice in there, I on those groups, I, I think you probably, I won't speak for you. I'd say they probably fit right on the Louisiana Tech Southern Miss line of, I I think they probably still belong in the main mass of five people. Yeah. But, uh, like, they were a goal line the top of it, I feel from, like. Yeah. They were a goal line interception from Louisiana Tech last year. Yeah. So, I, you know, I they beat Middle Tennessee. They beat UTEP. They beat North Texas. And so, at that point, you're, you're saying, is, is Rice better than... Right now, UTSA Southern Miss, I think that's the conversation we're having. So I, the upper tier of the which at that point, you're, you're talking about a six game schedule and you're you should be better than at least half of the teams you're going to play, if not more. That's a different feel entering 2020 than it did in 2019. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. Should we move on to the uh, the positions? Yeah, I, we might have a, this might be the opposite. We have a consensus number one here at the top, and then I it might get interesting real quick. It gets it gets bunched up real fast. Um, it's hard for me to decide on a lot of these. Uh, at the top, I would probably put linebacker. Blaze Aldridge included. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, from, I will, I will tack on, we, we know Blaze, we know, Antonio Montero, Myron Morrison had a has had an interception, another one again in in camp in a a scrimmage drill, and and Garrett Grammer like is a really good linebacker that also is really good at special teams. So you have four linebackers that I feel like could be starters in most of Conference USA. Yeah, like if you if you have four like inside slash off ball linebackers that you feel good about. That's you're doing better than a whole lot of teams at that point. So um, the likelihood that you have to go beyond that in terms of depth, like you've you've hit such a disaster point by that time that it's. You know, it's hardly even worth talking about. So, yeah, yeah, that it feels pretty comfortable to me there. That's easy. Number two. (laughs) I kind of feel like I need to go safety here. Just so because safety was really hard for me to rank. Yeah. Ass- so assuming we get everybody back, 
which I I think we will. And I I think as fully healthy, I I think safety is a pretty pretty easy choice. Not super yeah. easy, but pretty easy. However, you delineate between those two words. Yeah, just because you've got like you've got proven start. And, you know, if we're if we're gonna lump in Viper here as a safety, um, yeah, then which we didn't count it on linebackers, and it probably needs to be one of the two. So, like you've got proven starters at all three positions. You feel pretty good about the backups. Um, so yeah, the it's it's one of those positions where there's just like everything is settled. And you're not worried about any as long as everybody's healthy, like you're not worried about anybody needing to take a step or or get a lot better or, you know, yeah. what have you. like it, but, it's it's very settled and solid. And the the differentiator up top is the, the, the depth at, at linebacker. I don't know if the, the next level is that proven, but I, I feel pretty good. Like Prudy Calderon is, is a backup safety like you know, led the team in interceptions as a, as a freshman. Uh, Kirk Larkart's been really good. Gabe Taylor, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this yet in any of the, the practice notes, but he's picked off a couple passes already in scrimmages. He just, in high school, like, he had like a half dozen pick sixes, and he's just came to Rice, and he's kept doing it. So, if you're third... Sometimes those genes, man, like, I, I mean, this wh- kid's been, whatever this kid's been playing football for like, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure he played football when he was little, but like he didn't play high school football. So his senior year, right? Yes, so. he is less than or I guess now uh, approaching a year of football experience. Like and even even at what like he's he's like five nine. So that and the 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 little experience, you can see why he was maybe sort of under recruited. But, you know, yeah. with that background, if it and what the obvious natural ability like this kid's in a power five program if he plays all like four years of high school right like there's no way yeah absolutely and i think that's that's all all but certain and like you know if he was one of your starting safeties i'd i'd feel good about the potential i don't know like learning all the scheme right away and putting him on every down i would be nervous but rice doesn't have to do that like they got, yeah. they got a plenty of guys and they can say, hey, you know, it's it's third and 19. Go take the football and he'll probably do it. So if that's your third string, that's that's pretty good at safety. So top two positions of of confidence on defense. I I think the third is two. I'm going to go D line here for me. Yeah. Maybe. I I, I might have them option? lower because I'm a little worried about the depth there, especially with like I don't know. Like you do have to rotate defensive linemen to a certain extent, no matter what, in a way that you don't have to with with linebackers and and defensive backs, and like I just feel like there's a huge drop off from from DeBraylin Carroll, especially to kind of the next man up. We'll see. Like, I, there's definitely an argument here. Like, the frontline talent is very good, and I think there's good reason to believe that they'll take some steps on like the edge rush, especially. But I think with people being out, I'll say that, and I'm curious to. I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I think that's definitely a fair point that that the proven talent is is better than the the depth. But you know, Jacob Dodridge had a, a four sat game. In the scrimmage this weekend, 
okay. at, at defensive end, which is this is this is good. Like <laughs> anytime you get four sacks, Rice would. When's the last Rice player to have four sacks in a game? Been a while. Longer ago than I remember. Yeah, scrimmage. So you know, <laughs> I think uh, Ekpe did he get three and a half in a game? Maybe Something three. Like, I thought he had Something like three like in a game. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyhow, I'm not, I'm not anointing Jacob Dodgers as edge rusher of all edge rushers, but positive progression there. Akina has been playing a couple places, and he's been been great. Uh, you know, I've liked what I've seen from Javante Hubbard and Josh Piercy has been out there a little bit. Like I've seen, gotten to see a little bit more of these guys. So I, I feel better. I, I, my, my concern on depth might've been like, I think it was probably one of our highest ones when we went through the defensive previews. I, I feel a little bit better than I did, but, uh, I don't know. I, none of those guys have done it yet. Yeah. The one I would have in this mix, if, I were a hundred percent certain about health would be wide receiver. Um, just because like, yeah, you don't have, a, you have the same sort of proven depth thing, but like one, you don't have to go as deep at wide receiver as you do a defensive line. And two, um, the proven two that you have are, 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 are pretty proven. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you don't need to develop as much depth if you have both Rosner and Trammell, um, and, you know, as we've talked about a million times, like there's enough candidates with enough ability that you feel like somebody can ascend into that third role and and really give some balance to this unit. So they're yeah. they're assuming health um, and things are so uncertain at this point, you know, except for the guys that are confirmed out for the year. I'm not, I, I think it's better to just sort of. Yeah. Take things as we hope they'll be. Count them as the as they're they're being there until they're not there. Right. That that's that's fair. And I and I I will say like I have I'm running I'm can't count on my fingers how many people have come up to me and said, Hey, so have you seen Jake Bailey yet this this fall? Like, just just go watch him. And I'm just like, oh, okay. And I, I see him and he looks really good. I was like, I don't know what you're gonna do with him. Like I mean, he was the highest rated member of the 2019 recruiting class, right? Yeah, that's right. By by a good margin. And I was like, well, he Austin Trammell's on the way. Well, because of everything and who's on the field and not like they ran a set in scrimmage on last Saturday with Jake Bailey lined up far outside and two tight ends split out standing up to one side of the formation. which. I, I don't think all right, all right. positive. <laughs> I, no, I will guarantee you, Rice did not run that setup <laughs> last year. I don't think Jake Bailey ever lined up on the outside. Yeah, but yeah, so if he can play a little bit on the outside, or maybe so, we'll see. If if Jake Bailey is the guy, if Zane, if somebody else is, I, I, I feel that I, you you have so many options at wide receiver that you right. really need one or two, and we we talked about that. Okay, okay. I, I, I see that. I'll, I'll, I'll group those together. Uh, do you have yeah. a next pick you think is is closer to that? Not going to I'm not going to call him sure thing, but more more confident group. Um, uh, are we there now with running back? I is that where we are? I think we might be. So I was kind of thinking that I almost put running back above wide receiver. And that was probably because of the health thing. But if you're telling me that we have. We have Juma. 
And I love what I've seen from Kalen. And Kobe has been fantastic. Kobe Campbell. And we have Jawan King, who we haven't really even seen yet, but like did a lot of really good things in high school and pending health. Like those are four guys that I feel really good about. Yeah, I, I feel really solid about that group. And if we're we have it listed on here as as fullback lumped in. We've discussed that Brendan Suckley was great last year as the season went on. Um, it seems that uh, Brian Hibbard is, is really picking things up early. And you rarely need more than one fullback. So if you have two good fullbacks, yeah. you're in a solid place. So I haven't seen Suckley at a, a, a practice yet. And, and who knows? It's That's one of the things you don't don't have all of the answers of who's there and who's not right. But I did see Brian Hibbert running with the one, like they ran the first snap of scrimmage. They had a fullback with Kalen Griffin in the eye and they ran right behind Hibbert and he just busted some people up and it was a good chunk gain. And I was just like, is this 2021, 2022? No, we're here right now. Like, yeah. And I'm, that's a good sign. I need to go back and see what he's, because the one thing I thought about him was that he would need a year or two to just get some bulk. Because so uh, I think he was six foot two thirty. Oh, okay. Because yeah. he, on his recruiting profile, he was listed like two hundred or something. But two thirty yeah, will do uh, it. He's had some time in the weight room, apparently. Okay. Well, yeah. Because I, I gushed about his high school tape once before, but he played center in like a. Uh, I don't remember. It was like a single wing or a wing T or something like that. A very like 1940s offense. But on so many of those plays, he would snap the ball and then they would basically sweep the whole line or half the line to one side or the other. And so basically every play he would snap the ball and then be out in space lead blocking. So you can immediately see why they they scouted him as a fullback. Um, so, I mean, if he's got that weight on already. Like he is a very like fluid and natural blocker in space. So it doesn't surprise me that he's he's already standing out. Yeah, I mean, and it had been I don't know what our our quota of how many episodes we can go without a good solid fullback reference, but it's been too (laughs) long. So we got our fullback airtime. And yeah, he's been there's been a lot of freshmen that have been really impressive so far. So I I feel like we're there. We're there at running back, which you know, if you peel back the onion and we won't get too far into, you know, woulda, coulda, should you like we heard Blake, Mike Bloomberg was coming in three years ago. He's going to bring the Stanford intellectual brutality ground and pound like we should. Like if you told me three years into this, we didn't feel good about the running backs. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a really big problem. Right. But we do. Yeah, and no, I, I, I like this group. I'm as 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 much trepidation as I had about them, you know, a month or two ago, I, I feel considerably better about that position now. Is how many yards after contact does it take to, uh, <laughs> to, to change our tunes? <laughs> it, it, I don't know what the threshold is, but it turns out that 165 is above. Yeah, it. that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then it gets a little trickier from here. Yeah. Um, I, I think the next spot, I, it's a couple groups. So I, I'd say I'm, I'm kind of toying here between tight end. 
Yeah, so the next, I, I think the next group here for me, I would lump, like, I don't know, we can probably tease out an order, but I would lump, like, tight end, OL, and special teams together, probably? Um, yeah, the only other one I was, I was in this mix of I'm not sure was quarterback. Oh, right, I totally forgot about quarterback. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they, they, they're important. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're kind of in that mix as well. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess we can tease out that group, but but let's talk about tight ends first. Um, Jordan Myers. Yeah, I think there's like a solid baseline here, right? Because they like Jordan to do a lot of things. I mean, it's how many other teams have even in their pre-camp death chart a tight end listed as the first string punt returner? None of them. I none of them. <laughs> <laughs> so they clearly have some trust in his ability. Um, and he can do a lot of different things for him. And for them. he took he took snaps at, in the backfield running the football when Rice got down to two running backs. <laughs> like, so I'm just saying he's the break the glass running back. Yeah. So you like what he can do. You have a couple other guys like uh, Jager, for instance, who have done solid jobs as blockers. You, you're still kind of looking for that guy to be you know, kind of what they hope Robert French could be, right? That big athletic mismatch receiver type at tight end. And I don't, you know, that would, finding that would take this group up, yeah. way up for me. And I will say, Nate Camper caught a, a pass in the flat, a freshman tight end, 6'6", 210. Uh, Bloomgren called him a, a baby giraffe <laughs> with how he moves but he got a pass in the flat during scrimmage and took it like 40 yards to the house i didn't initially notice who it, who it was it's uh one of our uh, patrons actually pointed out it's like i saw i think i saw a camper run one in i'm like really and and lo and behold yeah like he was the kind of guy i thought might need some time in the weight room to to bulk out but you know he could be that guy and and i will say jack bradley you know, when they bring in, you know, multiple tight ends, especially in line or they want to do something where they split like Camper or Robert French or somebody out. Like, I, I think I think Jack Bradley is going to be on the field a lot. He was one of, I think, three true freshmen last year to play every single game. And the staff loves him and really, really good blocker and has proven to be, you know, pretty good with his hands. So that's the, you know, we prove we kind of tersing through like proven commodity versus like proven depth. I I lean towards him being proven depth. I think he's he's really good at what he does. Yeah. So I think they've got the baseline here of guys to kind of do the dirty work that you need from this position group. And that's good. That's really important. You know, as many tight ends as this offense is going to use at times, like you need those guys who are going to put their hand in the dirt and, and seal somebody off on the edge. Um, you're just, you know, looking for somebody to be that playmaker that, you know, if we're, if we're going to take the Stanford analogy as we, we sometimes do here, which NFL tight end do you want to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, your, your Kobe Fleener, your Zach Ertz, you know, awesome. somebody who's going to be, yeah, somebody who's going to be a weapon that teams really have to game plan before. And I, game plan for and i don't know we we haven't seen that yet for many of the guys on the roster there are there are some candidates here but yeah from a receiving threat i i i think it's more likely we see a breakout receiving performance from a wide receiver than a tight end right 
which I think could be okay. But yeah, yeah, that's why they're midway through the list and, and not at the top. Um, after that, uh, I I'm, hard... yeah, I might go offensive line here. Like, I feel pretty good about them because they have a lot of guys who individually you feel like have a lot of ability or who have done pretty well for themselves and have a lot of experience in Klarkowski and, and Baker and Garcia and Clay Servin. Um, and then there have been enough guys who have kind of shown something in camp or as backups that, you know, you feel like you can get that top five and then maybe feel good about your sixth or seventh guy, which is really where you want to be. But we just think- haven't, you know, looking back to last season, it just doesn't seem like the O-line has kind of put it together as a group, you know, and, and gotten to that position where, especially in kind of the traditional run game, like Bloomgren wants to run, where they're just, you know, really moving people out of the way, like, like really rolling downhill and, you know, we're, we're leaning fully into the cliches here, kind of imposing their will on people. We, we haven't really seen that yet. And I feel like there's the talent and the continuity here to become that, but it's not there yet. Yeah. And and I think a part, this is the part that's been the hardest thing for me to quantify it during, I guess the spring and, and into fall camp is, you know, when, when they made the decision to move, move Sanders, Dave Sanders Davis from a, an assistant job to the offensive line coach i guess they did that uh, before the spring and and bloomgren stepped in really almost full-time-ish with the offensive line he's been he's been hands-on and in that is his background i mean he was wasn't he he ol the entire time he was stanford's offensive coordinator he was also the o-line coach yeah, went from offensive line coach to O-line coach and run game coordinator to also offensive coordinator. Like, that was the progression. <laughs> so this guy, like, if a if any, like, he should, this is what he's supposed to, like, this is why he, he's here, like, to recruit and build an offensive line that can bludgeon people to the point that you or I could run behind it and gain yardage. <laughs> like, that's the goal. That's where he wants to be. And so that's the point that, like, that, I, you know, maybe that's why they're a little too low as we prove talk about proven versus unproven, like the X factor of how much does having Bloomgren, you know, <laughs> in those meetings, teaching you those drills as someone who's done it for a long time. So. I don't know, that's that's my 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 point for them being so down on the list is, you know, who who becomes the the second string kind of those rotational pieces. I, I think they have options, but. You know, they haven't haven't really played much of any college football like Isaiah Floyd uh, was running a little bit with the twos last week and he has zero collegiate snaps on the offensive side of the ball and not very many on defense. So I, I like where he's going, but I. If you're an injury away and he's he's there the full year, like what what's the drop off? I, I don't know. Like, I like where he's going to be. I don't I don't know if with the covid situation, everything else, if he's going to be there. And I don't want to pick on Isaiah because I really like Isaiah and, and where he's going. But, you know, the same kind of group yeah, behind he, it. Right. He's he's just kind of an example here. Like there are lots of guys. None of them are as big as he is. But like there are lots of guys in that kind of second group with the offensive line that it's like, yeah, uh, like sounds like this guy's doing really well or, or, you know, this guy's got a lot of talent and they felt really good about him coming in as a recruit. But, you know, 
you yeah, have I to like, see it. And I like yeah. I like what I've seen and heard. Like uh, Connor Hughes, he's moved out to tackle. Reagan Riddle was a guy that kind of moved up and and got involved last year. Shea, uh, Shea Baker is awesome. Period. The end. Uh, Braden Nutter is a guy who's probably one of they said coaches one of the most advanced offensive line recruits that they've had in quite some time like is running third team center and bumping up to guard a little bit with the the second like i like it just gotta show me which i guess gets me to the next piece there would be quarterback yeah i think so so the reason for optimism here is what we talked about right like you you have a certain floor here in terms of the depth that I don't think many teams in CUSA have. And you certainly feel good about the top end talent, you know, like we, you know, Collins is the third straight grad transfer, which is not ideal, but he's easily and obviously the most purely talented of those guys. Um, and we, you know, have talked plenty about Giovanni's athleticism and potential too. So there's, there's a lot of potential here. There's a certain, amount of depth that's nice that maybe they haven't had in the last two seasons. But, you know, until we see more than three-ish games worth of consistent quarterback play from a, a rise quarterback, <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, it's one of those things. They're, they're either way too low or or spot on, right? Like, they're not going to be at the end of the year as far as, you know, positional performances. They're probably not going to be, like, fifth. Like, yeah. It's either going to be near the top or the bottom. And I, I think it's it's telling to some degree, like I, this is now my third quarterback battle that I've covered with with Bloomgren, <laughs> you know, through through camp. And this is the I don't think I've seen even last year when, you know, I was I was pegging Wiley as the starter from the get go. Bloomgren wasn't this effusive with his he like he said good thing with his praise he was he said good things about Wiley but you know the the thought was like you know I I think I think Stewart could be the guy if he can if he can get there he's just not there yet like that's not what it's looked like this year it's been Mike we we like Mike like Giovanni's good Mike could be really good so I you know you don't want to buy into the pre-cap hat pre-camp hype but i i lean i lean towards i i hope i'm so wrong on this position and it blows us all away that's what i want yeah i like i'm i'm happy to buy into to the pre-camp hype on running backs uh i have sort of made my own hype when it comes to guys like the wide receivers uh but i am i <laughs> But I, I'm not I'm not going all in on the quarterbacks until we see it like I'm just. From what we've seen in the last two years, I'm just I'm not willing to do that until we see it. I fair I. I believe it. And then I the, the last two positions, special teams we have not gotten to yet. I It comes with replacing Chris Barnes. Who did both kicking and punting for for rice last year uh, you, i guess you lose zach hoban who did kickoffs too he transferred in his uh i believe at virginia tech now but you, you know going from and we covered this a little bit on special teams but going from jack fox to chris barnes to two new guys the odds of keeping up great special teams play through th 
two different transitions is is not good. I like I like a lot what I've seen. Both of these guys punting, and I'm I assume that Riccatelli can make field goals. That's kind of why he was brought in. But oh, yeah, we just not a lot to go on here is the thing. It it seems like they will continue to be solid, but. I don't know. It's it's hard to put special teams very high unless you have returning guys that you're extremely confident in. Confident in is is according kind of to Jack I would take Fox, on that. the number one long snapper in the conference. True, if not the True. country, and we trust Jack Fox, NFL <laughs> great wonder kid, Jack Fox of the punter conclave. But it just, like every day, some new stat or like I saw. I, I think you retweeted this today and, and I saw it. It was just like yeah, somebody had like punted had yardage like, over expectation or something. Yeah. And it was like, cause it, you know, there was a, a diagonal line and if you, if you were above it, you were being hurt by your coverage. If you were below it, you were being helped by your coverage. And, it, it, <laughs> and if you were a mile further Jack up the line just, than everyone else, it was like, if you looked at like the, in like 2016 at the height of when Steph Curry was going nuts, you know, people would put charts out. That's like three point percentage on the Y axis and and like efficiency on those shots on the X axis. And in general, like as you, or, sorry, or like it, it would be, it'd be like attempts first percentage and in general, as you have more attempts, you get less efficient. That's just kind of the way that tends to work. And then Steph Curry would be off somewhere in the top corner, like just breaking the chart. Uh, so Jack and, Fox is the Steph Curry of punters. You know, I <laughs> through the current sample size, we're just gonna. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. So that's the legacy we're trying to measure up to. So we're not gonna say these guys aren't gonna be great. They could be very, very good, and uh, I, I, I certainly hope so. But yeah, on the confidence level, I, I we have seen nothing so far other than practice. Which gets us to our last position. When I, unfortunately, this was as confident as I, as I was at putting linebacker on the top of the list. I, I felt pretty, it was yeah, pretty easy to put corner at the bottom. One. Yeah, um, we feel really good about Treshawn Devones. But, and uh, my corner by the time we get. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't like. I don't know who was first team corner at the last practice. Was the it first a team corners at the last practice were uh, Treshawn Devones and Miles McCord. Okay. And I've seen a lot of Sean Fresh and Jordan Dunbar. True freshmen. Both been really good. Really, really like Sean Fresh. Yeah. But uh, when you're, but, when you're what other to position. Have on that we've gone through is the primary backup going to be a freshman this year. Yeah. Fullback. Uh, maybe. Yeah. And I don't well, I don't maybe maybe running back if if Kalen is yeah. the first team. <laughs> or he could be the second team. But you know, there's a difference between positions where uh a freshman comes in and, and is starting or is on the two deep just because they've been that good. And ones where there are two true freshmen in the 2D because everybody's hurt or transferred or, you know, whatever. So Chris Boudreaux is getting snaps at corner. 
He was a wide receiver last year, wasn't he? Yeah, that's why you had to think about it. And that's yeah. yeah. Not great. That's where we're at at corner. Lamont Narcisse, freshman. He is uh he's gonna miss the season, Bloomgren said last week. So Andrew Bird is, you know, on crutches. Cool. It's pretty tough. You I have mean, Devone's proven commodity and a lot of guys that we hope will be very good. And could, you know, could become really good guys by the time we get to December. We just we're starting football, knock on wood, in October. <laughs> And corner is one of those positions where if you're a freshman and you're just that dude, like, especially in this defense, as complex as it is, a lot of times the corner's job is get your hands on your guy at the line and then stick with him down the field. Like, it can be one of those positions where if a freshman has the stuff. Derek Stingley. They, yeah, like they can excel right away. Yeah. Might have been the best player on a national championship team as a true freshman at corner. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 pretty good. Derek Stingley was not at practice. No, not that I saw. No. But you know, like I like where we're gonna be. I think that the freshman class we brought in, as far as scheme fit and ability, talent wise, like I think it's better than we've had at, at Rice since you know bloom and his his group have been here on, on the whole but that's a lot to ask from a true freshman if you're saying you know hey begin the year and you're going to start out trying to figure out what's happening when asher o'hara has the football right off the bat which you know you, his quarterback play up and down but still asher o'hara and then you go to you know, Jack Abraham at Southern Miss, which is the most accomplished passer in the in the conference. So, yeah, it's going to be a trial by fire for whoever's in that position. So at least the rest of the defense looks great. And yeah, so. I I think it, it, maybe if, if we could, I, you know, it almost would have been nice if we had like two the past two years of, of data to go back and aggregate and look at. The dividing line, because I feel like at this point, if we're if we're grouping things together, I think most of, you know, linebacker safety, defensive line, running back like that group, I linebacker, I like lock lockbox. It's it's awesome. But that next <laughs> group of safety, defensive line, running back, you know, tight end, like we feel really good about those yeah. on the whole from a depth and a starting perspective in the next group of O-line quarterback. That group, like, feel pretty good. Yeah, like, uh, you definitely... Corner's really the only position where I'm just like, I don't know. It's the only one where I'm actively, like, worried. Like, there are definitely some, like, quarterback, especially where you're just like, I don't know, we'll see what we get. But corner, I'm like, crap. <laughs> I hope somebody turns out to be really good, because otherwise it's going to be rough at that second corner spot. Yeah, let's not get to the point where I, I vividly remember the Houston game. And I guess it was 2018. Where they. Uh, had gotten to the next guy, I, I was scrolling down the depth chart and he wasn't, you know, they, they list out the, the two deep and they have a they'll have a the pre camp depth chart. It goes, I think we have four deep at both corner spots. Right. And mm -hmm. uh it was off the off the the weekly depth chart, and I'm 
flipping through the roster looking for this number. And I'm like, <laughs> are there any corners left? And I, I remember I, I was talking actually this week with uh, defensive coordinator Brian Smith. And I'm like, do you remember that? Well, like, where are you? Do you remember that game? He's like, <laughs> yeah. Bloom turned to me in the third quarter of that game and said, who's next? And he said, we got nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not there. But. We at least lots. know the names of the next like three options at corner. But right. more or less pretty good, which kind of echoes, you know, where we've been. Yeah. Assuming that we were gonna get to a season. It's good to still be in that position, you know, after all the delays and the weirdness to start camp and injuries and all that stuff. Like, you know, we're we're hoping some of these guys get better, but after all this weirdness, we're still in the same position of like basic optimism that we were like at the end of last season. So it's the college football preseason. It's nice. Yeah. This is the part where I say everybody's undefeated and but they're not because yeah, no. most, <laughs> most everybody's played. <laughs> most of them are, in fact, defeated. <laughs> <laughs> but Rice is undefeated. <laughs> It's going to be weird. Well, next week we got another show for you. And then the week after we're on, we're on middle Tennessee game prep. How about that? It's finally getting real. Well, all right. Uh, we will see all. Well, we will not see you podcasting. It's a visual medium. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back then. And yeah, it's coming up. So get ready and uh, rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.